kind of switch between calling myself the trip advisor of outsourcing or the Alibaba of outsourcing because I think this is the single most transformative business tool out there. You know, the big boys have been doing it for 25 years and they are making a mozza and there are just businesses out there that aren't aware of this incredible opportunity. Basically, in short, you can save about 70% on your staffing costs. You know, it's kind of like adding steroids to your business. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand. Get shit done live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the podcast today. Outsourcing is a hot topic in the entrepreneurial world, and we have had many guests on the show that have revolutionized their businesses by using outsourcing. Today's guest is the founder of the outsourcing superstore, Outsource Accelerator. Derek Gallimore joins us as we chat in depth about the outsourcing world today. Throughout Derek's entrepreneurial career, he has bootstrapped a real estate business to $20 million, and after some changes in the market, lost the entire empire. He has lived and worked in five different countries and been a location-independent entrepreneur since 2008. He began outsourcing in the Philippines in 2011 and came on the show today to share why outsourcing is one of the most potent and transformative business tools available today. You guys, it's a great episode. And without further ado, Derek Gallimore. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Derek Gallimore, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you today? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm glad you're here, my friend. And you mentioned that you're calling in from the Philippines, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're connecting over over Skype, crossing the world. Yeah, it's amazing. How how much time do you spend in the Philippines per year? Uh, I probably spend eight months of the year. I I do. Uh, I I try and reduce my my travel actually. Um, because you can, you know, sort of easily get tempted away. But um, I, I probably travel about kind of four months of the year for a combination of both uh, leisure and uh, business. I, I find that, you know, I've been location independent entrepreneur 
traveling around the world for seven years. But I find like the entrepreneurs that uh, start to hit their 30s kind of do that eighth month, eight, eight months in one place and four months and, you know, traveling around. Is that dissimilar for you? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I love travel, but now actually I'm, I'm going through a bit of a stage where I maybe do the shorter trips to get a change of scenery, but then I'm back into my, um, my kind of usual habitat where I just find there's, there's better productivity when you're, you know, in a zone that, um, that you're used to. Um, so I find it, it's always a balance of, you know, getting good productive work done, feeling good about that, and then, you know, going off to new environments. And I, I think that often it can be sometimes a little bit hard to get really good productivity when you're on the road so much. For sure. It's, it can be really, really hard. Uh, how do you set up your work zone since you have a space that you're in mostly eight months out of the year? Um, what does your, your work zone look like? And then what are the things you're doing on a daily basis to keep productive? Yeah, uh, it's it's fairly standard to be honest. I mean, I have a nice big massive monitor which I enjoy, and then I've got my laptop plugged into it, and um, just use your keyboard. Um, I make sure I can kind of have a good posture as I'm sitting, but nothing more fancy than that. Um, but I'm super into having a really good uh, like routine. I have a like fantastic morning routine, or I do the whole meditation thing and do a bit of exercise. Then I usually start work by about seven a.m. Um, I push through till about 1 p.m., have a longish lunch, and then push through till about 7 p.m. again. So um, I'm pretty much in, in my routine in that zone. Um, but don't get me wrong, like days do seem long. Sometimes they're boring. Sometimes they're a grind. But um, it, it's a it's a pretty good routine that I'm in. And, and when you stop at 7, so like I've never implemented a hard stop you know, in the evening times. And so I was, we had a guest on the show, Kristen Chasmer, who said that uh, he 10x his productivity when he implemented a hard stop at seven o'clock every day. And it helped him take his business to over $5 million. And so uh, I'm curious, and I've never actually implemented a hard stop. I just work until I'm exhausted and go to bed. (laughs) And what do you do after you stop around seven o'clock? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a morning person and you know I you sort of read these books like Deep Work and stuff and I actually don't think I have a lot of deep work potential in me much beyond about 4 or 5 hours. So I get all of my kind of hardcore work done in that morning session. I have lunch, then I always have this kind of like post lunch um food coma thing (laughs) where I'm not that productive. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I kind of warm up again and by, you know, kind of six or seven, I'm, I'm pretty much brain dead and I've come now to realize not to beat myself up. It's pretty much been about a 12 hour day. That's not too bad. Um, and then I just quit because I know that I'm not actually getting a lot of productive work done after that time. Um, after that time, I, I, Actually, about 1 p.m. is my last meal of the day, so I don't eat. Um, I usually um, do a little bit more exercise then, kind of gentle exercise, um, but just kind of hang out. And then I actually, it's a bit embarrassing, usually go to bed quite early because I'm then up at about 5 a.m. most mornings. Um, Or, of course, I I go out and socialize and have a dinner or whatever, but um, that's my kind of usual routine. And it, when you, so you're doing, I'm guessing, intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating? 
Yeah. When you stop yeah, at one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you yeah, do you have a big breakfast when you wake up, or, or is that the first thing you have? Or um... yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's funny. The whole podcast world. I think we're all on the same vibes. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, I'm pretty much keto. I've been fasting for about two or three years. Um, I'm pretty much keto. I have the whole bulletproof coffee in the morning with three eggs, so super light breakfast actually. Uh, and then I basically have the one meal at uh, about 1 p.m. And that's it really, that's that's it for the day. I, I, I kind of um, just eat between seven and one. Um, and then of course I, I break it if I'm social or whatever, but, but that's my ideal routine. Is that a big meal at 1 p.m.? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of pretty. It's not necessarily that big, but it has a lot of fat to it. Um, so okay. I either have like a, a salad, or I don't know how interesting this is for people, but I have a salad and um, a lot of oil, a lot of fat, um, and actually I, I kind of go into a bit of a food coma after that um, for <laughs> about half an hour to an hour. So I'm pretty unproductive in the first kind of hour or two of my afternoon. But um, but overall, I think it's it's a pretty productive kind of cycle. Do you take a siesta after lunch, any? No, I don't. I'm unfortunately I'm kind of a bit brain dead, but not um, enough to ever nap. I'm kind of too wired during the day. I'm super turned on. Okay. That's probably the wrong word, but um, but I wake up and I'm kind of like 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 a lightning bolt um, in the morning, and then it's from there. It's just a gradual downhill until um, the evening. And when you meditate in the morning, any special type of meditation do you practice, or music you use? Um, I use uh, Headspace app. I okay. like the, uh, the the sound of the guy, um, but yeah, nothing. I I do twenty minutes every morning, and I'm pretty religious about it. And um, yeah, I enjoy it. He does have a nice sounding voice, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? It's much better <laughs> than the other calm, and they sound a little bit kind of robotic and clinical. <laughs> this guy sounds very genuine. Yeah, he is gifted with a, an amazing meditative voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool. Thanks for sharing all that. We dove right into productivity hacks really quickly. So that was great. Oh, one more question. What part of the Philippines are you living in? In Manila. So those that don't know, it's, it's the capital city. It's one of the biggest cities in the world. There's about 22 million people living here. Uh, it's a massive concrete jungle, but you can actually have a, a super cool lifestyle here and there's great people here. So I really enjoy it. What do you enjoy most about Manila? Um, look, to be honest, a lot of people don't enjoy it. Um, I, I need a, a hot place, like a warm climate. This certainly has that. Um, I live in a fantastic area that has about 10 swimming pools. It has fantastic health club facilities. Um, I also, you know, kind of, I have a maid, everything is done for me. Um, but also there's just incredible people here. Um, really great community, both of local um, fantastic Filipinos and um, the expat community as well. So uh, it's a combination of everything. And also it's very central to all of Asia. So it's very close to get to any other part of Asia or Australasia really. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. Now I want to dive into the business side of things and talk more about how you grew the business, grew a business up to 20 million and then uh, it crashed and then started over and, and now are running Outsource Accelerator. But you mentioned before the call that I have to get this story out that you were arrested for skinny dipping in Brazil. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't necessarily promote that, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I traveled around South America for about a year when I was um, about 20 years old. And um, yeah, one of the episodes was that we, we had a pretty massive night and met up with some pretty funny locals and we ended up all going skinny dipping. But then kind of I think it was a bit of a um, ploy and the next thing we knew, like the, the sunlight was coming up and there were two guys um, armed policemen with, uh, with machine guns telling us to get out of the water, which was a little bit awkward because we were naked, um, and then demanding that we that we either go to the jail with them or pay them a bribe or yeah, it was a little bit it was a little bit awkward on a lot of on a lot of levels. What city was it? Uh, I can't remember now. It's um just north of Rio. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad yeah, it came out safe. Careful. You came out, you know. It's better to give your money than to fight it. I want to learn more about, uh, you have a really cool story. Uh, you took a business, uh, grew it up to 20 million and lost it and then kind of started all over. So I, I just like to learn a bit more about your backstory and, and uh, understand how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've, I suppose the, the short story is I've, I've always felt entrepreneurial. I've, since 17, I was a personal trainer at the gym. Um, I always wanted to do my own thing. Um, at 24, when I got back from backpacking around uh, South America, I was able to catch the tail end of the London property boom um, and was able to kind of uh, shoehorn my way into my first property and within about uh, six well, six months I bought my second property six months later I bought my third property and built um, a bit of a mini property empire of about sort of 12 places in London within about the next uh, three or four years um, and that kept on growing um, then I in 2008 when we had the financial crisis everything shut down all of the bank spaces shut down there was no more lending I was safe but effectively, I had to find something else to do because there was no more funding of the, the property empire sort of thing. So because of that, I, um, in 2009, started playing around with serviced apartments, uh, which had a lot of uh, synergies with my existing property portfolio. And little did I know, in 2009, that was the beginning of the whole Airbnb explosion of all of these homestay kind of things. So again, I was kind of at the forefront of that. And we went from basically testing one apartment that we leased and then we started leasing entire blocks of apartments in central London uh, and we then got up to about 220 230 apartments in London over the next uh, eight nine years and we were one of the bigger service department companies um, in London um, so that that was an incredible ride I basically bootstrapped that from uh, no revenue you know just coming off the back of the financial crisis um, up to about 20 million US annual revenues but then things started to get really 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 tough margin huge margin compression happened um, because basically Airbnb became so well known so popular that so many people were doing this and it basically flooded the market with property. Um, and basically our margins went from about 3x of the lease price that we paid down to about 1.7x the uh, lease price we paid. So incredible price compression. Um, that meant that basically I, I was, you know, I had a big, well, relatively good property portfolio of my own. 
Um, and then we had about 230 properties in central London that we were leasing. That was about 20 million revenues. And then with about 18 months, um, that company shut down. I sold most of my properties to try and um, bail out that company. And I kind of virtually lost uh, everything that I had been building in the last uh, 15 years prior. Wow. So it was a pretty, pretty tough 18 months. Um, and certainly, you know, I learned a lot. Um, I also probably got a few gray hairs from that, that <laughs> process as well. But, you know, it, it's, um, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, I could imagine. So I'm curious, Derek, after you lost that business, what was it like for you? How did you, what were some of the, the challenges the mental challenge or the emotions that you went through to, to process that experience and then say, okay, now I'm going to start over and start something else? Yeah, look, it actually happened during the, the hard time. Um, and I don't know if you know, you or the listeners have read Hard Thing About Hard Things. I actually read that book um, in the in the tough time, and we had a really tough eighteen months prior to closure. And throughout that time, you know, I was in a sort of, I suppose, continual uh, sort of state of mild panic. Um, you know, certainly a lot of stress. We were trying to pivot. We were trying to rescue. I was selling all my properties, investing in the, investing all of that back into the company, doing everything to try and rescue this thing. Um, and nothing was helping. So it was incredibly stressful. And then, of course, I had the worry that after all of this, if it did go down, then I could potentially be left with absolutely nothing. Um, that was incredibly stressful, um, incredibly, you know, and also there's the concern for all of the um, whatever the creditors, all of my staff, all of the clients. Um, so it, it really took a toll and incredibly stressful. On the last day, though, when we actually closed it down, it was actually an incredible weight lifted off my shoulders because then it was it was very quickly finalized. And, you know, there was nothing then more in my control. And I felt then an incredible um, release. I actually, after that time, went to um, um, Alicante in Spain, where there's a fantastic co-living space, Sun and Co, um, where there's a lot of remote workers. And I went there because I needed to leave London. I needed time in the sun. <laughs> I needed to sort of recharge my batteries. But within about a week, I was actually so excited about getting back into business, about starting my next projects. And, you know, I had actually been kind of so under pressure over the last two years that everything about me was shutting down. And I felt that, you know, once that weight had been lifted, I started to get excitement back, um, incredibly eager to start my next venture. So, you know, it was almost um, uh, energizing to actually get past that stage and, and restart on another um, little project. I was in the real estate industry back in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, and felt that whole experience in many ways where I had a business and and uh, lost everything when the crash happened. And I actually wasn't sensible enough during the time or knowledgeable enough to to separate my personal expenses from my business expenses. So when I lost everything, you know, I was I was broke. Uh, I'm, during this process, did you, when you lost your business, did you lose all your money or did you keep some in your back pocket for you because you knew you needed some after it all came? Yeah. Down? I mean, 
Yeah, it's 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 horrible, isn't it? Luckily, I um, managed to still keep one of my buildings. Um, where, so I kind of lost maybe ninety five percent of my wealth, you know. And without sounding like a, a dick, um, <laughs> I I you know had seriously built up really good position um, by about whatever like mid thirties. Because I probably had a property portfolio of kind of uh, $15 million, um, plus I had this kind of $20 million company under my belt. I was looking pretty good. Um, when this whole thing collapsed, at that time, I was literally facing being out on the street with not a penny. Um, but, you know, I actually managed to kind of scrape away with about half a million dollars, which which you know, is a huge amount of money. I, I realized that, but it was certainly, you know, a huge loss and, um, you know, a, a long fall down that I, that I kind of suffered. Um, and you know, I, I still feel that I'm climbing back up and I, I have to get back to where I was and, and more than anything else, kind of just prove myself to myself that, you know, it wasn't just a once off. When knowing what you know now and going through that experience, what would you have done differently? And do you think you could have saved the business? Yeah, I look, I don't blame anything. I blame me because I am at the helm. And, you know, there's all these famous examples of Kodak and um, definitely sort of uh, four years before the closure. I would have looked to sell it, you know, like I could have easily cleared a few million um, or I would have pivoted then. Um, I also was really driven for growth. And actually, you know, we were really taking the Silicon Valley approach where we wanted to build the best and biggest platform. We wanted a thousand properties in London. Um, And so we were building really good infrastructure that we were proud of. But the market kind of turned and then it meant that we weren't nimble. Where there were other uh, companies, competitors, where they were very lean, they had crappy sort of infrastructure systems, processes. They hadn't invested anything in the company, but they were basically able to maintain profitability and profits, you know, and so... (laughs) I suppose being boring old sensible me, I'm far more oriented now towards profits, towards sustainable growth, uh, and towards something that is that has longevity and you don't necessarily need to, you know, shoot the lights out in two years. Just take your time, make sure things are stable and safe, and also maybe, you know, smell the roses and enjoy the ride a little bit more. Yeah, it's a good point because it really works. And that's that's the rule of entrepreneurship. You know, the exception is people coming in and shooting the moon and making $100 million by Tuesday. And those are the exceptions and those are the stories that people get really excited about. But the rule of entrepreneurship is slow, slow quality, maintainable growth, right? And if you stick to that, you're going you're gonna to build something incredible. And it also prepares you for those opportunities to when you see them, when those trends come, you say, oh, I can hack that and I can get into this because I've built a, a good solid business over the years and I know when to jump on the opportunities. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think it takes, you know, a little bit of maturity. I think when you're a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and as well, there's a lot of influence now about this whole Silicon Valley thing of, you know, <laughs> come up with an idea, then go and raise a hundred million, try and become a unicorn in a year or else <laughs> blow up. 
Uh-huh. You know, and I, I sort of feel that there, there could be a little bit of middle ground there where, you know, just sort of grow something sustainable. If you can grow a million dollar business and you're taking home 200,000 a year, that's not bad. You know, if no. you're, if you're like 20s, early 30s, that's pretty incredible. You don't have to necessarily go for this whole unicorn thing and, and get VCs on your back. And it, it can be a pretty hard existence if it doesn't go right. And for most people, you know, most businesses don't turn out. Um, as you project, yeah, um, you know, it, it, it's a tough ride. Do you still hold real estate today? Uh, no. So I had to sell that. I liquidated that, you know, and I'm pretty, I'm still I, with my business now, I'm still on a burn rate because again, I'm kind of like building something pretty, pretty big and pretty glorious. I, I feel, um, so, you know, I'm committing everything to this and I'm very much all in, in this. Um, but I, but I know, that this is um, a, a good investment, or certainly that's that's my position on it. So after you went to to Spain to the co working space, when did you decide? You said it was just really quickly, and that you decided you wanted to get into something new. Was that the business that you have now, Outsource Accelerator? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, you know, I went really back to grassroots, and I because I had a big company with about sort of eighty staff, and you know, I I had a lot of um, sort of managers and processes in place that I got away from the coal face of doing stuff. So actually, I just went back and I uh, kind of opened a WordPress account and learned how to build a website um, because I'm, I'm sort of averagely technical, I suppose, but just wasn't connected to anything anymore because I was more running a big, biggish corporate business. So actually, my process in Sun & Co was that I would just started building a website and getting to know stuff, getting to know digital marketing, getting to know a lot of these things, SEO, that, you know, again, a lot of these um, kind of podcast world talk about. And and I kind of learned that. I felt that I did a bit of an apprenticeship for about six months where I learned all these processes, built funnels, um, kind of built uh, marketing material and blah, blah, blah. Then eventually, I settled on one core business. Um, and since then, I basically doubled down and have just concentrated on that. And that is the outsource accelerator, which, um, which, you know, I'm now um, fully invested in with a with a team here in Manila. Uh, what year did you start that? Well, you know, it, it's really about a year ago now. Okay. Uh, in in earnest, we we sort of built the website, and for about six months, we have just well for twelve months, we've been loading an incredible amount of content there. Uh, and about six months ago, we actually started offering uh, um, products off of the website. Got it. And now, now um, Outsource Accelerator is kind of known or or coined as the Alibaba of outsourcing, right? Absolutely. Can you explain more why you guys are the Alibaba of outsourcing? Yeah, I, I would love to, Chris. So I'm, I'm super passionate about this, and I'll, I'll just go a little bit back to the beginning. But outsourcing, um, you know, it, it, it's been around for about 20, 25 years, but it was only really accessible to the big businesses, the big boys, um, because it was incredibly expensive 25 years ago. You had to spend millions on infrastructure, and typically the scale of outsourcing then was that you would have 30,000 people doing one task, highly repetitive. And of course, you know, it's only the General Electrics and the Western unions that really have that scale. Um, fast forward 
kind of to now or about 10 years ago, it started becoming available to SMEs, to small, medium-sized businesses, this outsourcing thing, um, because infrastructure became a lot cheaper. The outsourcing suppliers became a lot more flexible with their terms, you know, and suddenly they would start accepting kind of one seat, two seats, five seats, um, which really opened up the opportunity to the small and medium-sized businesses out there. Now, what I found, though, I started outsourcing in 2011 for my own business because I needed call center uh, customer service staff, and there's really no information out there. There's no, um, you know, uh, kind of transparency for the market. And all you really have to do if you're interested in outsourcing is kind of start door knocking via Google. And for an industry that is as big as outsourcing, I just couldn't believe that there was no aggregator platform. There's no sort of trip advisor where people can go and look around different outsourcing suppliers. So it was really, I saw a gaping hole in this market in that basically I could aggregate all of this information um, and basically uh, position myself as the connector between Western businesses and uh, Philippine outsourcing suppliers. So that's where I get the whole, you know, I, I sort of, I, I kind of switch between calling myself the trip advisor of outsourcing or the Alibaba of outsourcing because we're basically, you know, selling outsourcing services on our website. We're representing uh, 600 Philippine BPOs. And it's really cool because, you know, I've I've met some outsourcing company or people that run outsourcing companies from all over. And what I noticed about yours and I really appreciated is that you have digital marketing packages, customer service packages, accounting packages, VA packages, consulting, web and mobile development, lead gen. And I've never seen those categorized like that. And I think that's incredibly cool because then you get the best outsourcers that can work on this, your, your specific problem. One question really quick, Derek, uh, why did you choose the Philippines? Yeah, we, uh, the Philippines is one of the world experts. It's really the Philippines and India that started outsourcing and they are really the experts in the sector. Uh, out, um, the Philippines is a bit smaller than India in terms of the outsourcing size, um, but they have incredible cultural alignment and incredible uh, English, um, first tongue English and very neutral accent. So for me, it's absolutely hands down the uh, single destination that you should really consider for outsourcing. You can also now look at many other destinations, but they're really very new entrants into the market. What is it about the, the Filipino culture that, that makes them good at this? Well, I mean, cultural alignment is, is one of the key factors. They, you know, for, for better or worse, they were conquered by the Spanish about 500 years ago, which um, they introduced uh, Catholicism into the country 500 years ago, which from that point kind of has a very um, aligning aspect in terms of their, their, their own life and mission and values and things, something that's very relatable. Then, again, for better or worse, they were conquered by the Americans um, about 50, 60, 70 years ago. And, you know, for better or worse, basically the Americans um, brought along all of their culture. So you walk down the high street of, um, you know, Manila and 
everyone is eating pizza. They're all speaking in English. Hmm. They're all watching basketball, you know, and they're basically brought up on a on an anglicized American diet of YouTube and NBA and and Rihanna. You know, it's like it's, <laughs> it's just incredible cultural alignment, um, more so than any other developing nation. Um, so that is a huge step up. Plus, you know, they they have a lot of um, they're very creative. So if, if you're sort of looking at things and very communicative. So if you're looking at things like customer service, uh, like web design, like creative roles, um, video production, then then they're very gifted in, in those areas. What do you think the best part of outsourcing is doing for business and entrepreneurs today? What makes it such a special time to use outsourcing or such a, a good time to use it and and how is it changing entrepreneurship as we see it in business as we see it today yeah look chris i think this is the single most transformative business tool out there and you know the big boys have been doing it for 25 years and they are making a mozza and there are just businesses out there that aren't aware of this incredible opportunity basically in short you know you can save about 70 percent on your staffing costs um it is it is that uh transformative and you know but it's not just about savings it's when you have access to well-qualified abundant human resources at a cheaper cost you can actually afford to out innovate out compete your competitors. So it's actually the strategic enhancements um, and operational enhancements that you can do for your business that really enable you to to kind of add rocket fuel to your business. But fundamentally, you know, you wouldn't outsource if there isn't a a cost saving element to there. Um, And there certainly is. But really, the big opportunity is in the, you know, it's kind of like adding steroids to your business. Um, And, you know, our website, Outsource Accelerator, we you know, don't sell. We're not outsourcing ourselves. I'm just trying to do my best to tell people that this opportunity is out there and that you know, if you are a business owner or thinking about starting a business, you are crazy not to at least consider outsourcing um, as an opportunity for your business. Is there any level that people that you recommend uh, entrepreneurs start at? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends kind of what business you are, but basically outsourcing can be um, applied to any business within any business sector. The, the you know, Tim Ferriss, one of the big podcasters, he um, popularized the freelancing kind of thing, the Upwork, the freelancer. And, you know, that is one aspect of the market. Um, but outsourcing is more the kind of professionalized service. So outsourcing is better it has its strengths in if you are hiring one full-time person um, and then the opportunity there is that you can scale that and actually build an operational team with you know operational um, expertise so it's it's kind of a little bit more professionalized and bigger scale than the upworks of the world but really the the upside the benefits the returns of that are, are then 10x because you're dealing with you know, professionalized um, service providers. You know, one thing that I, I've noticed, is, especially in the location independent movement, is that 
Um, outsourcing has really, really helped uh, bootstrappers and digital nomads at the very starting level grow their business. So if you're making a thousand, two thousand dollars a month and living in the Philippines or Thailand or somewhere in, in Asia, uh, you still have a, a little bit of money that you can spend on outsourcing and get a VA or get a specialist that can really help you grow and expand that business. And it's really done wonders for for those digital nomads. And now, like, you know, maybe they started out five, seven years ago. Uh, I know many people that started out um, in Thailand with a backpack and a laptop at a thousand bucks a month. And they're getting to the point where their business is worth a million or they sold it for a couple million. And now they're just kind of like starting new ventures. But it's a lot of that has been because they can outsource these little tasks. And it's, it's an incredible uh, thing to see. I'm curious, Derek, have you, the companies that you work with, do you have any stories that you could share that has really helped these companies transform their businesses? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as you say, with the, the digital nomads and, and your listeners, I'm probably like preaching to the converted because, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the digital nomads are incredible adopters of this outsourcing um, and they're really, you know, embracing it and really reaping the benefits. As you say, you know, there's people selling their businesses for millions of dollars off the back of outsourcing and VAs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really an incredible opportunity. But we, you know, we look at, um, we've done a white paper study. There's 35 million SMEs in the West, um, and I would suggest that maybe half a percent of those SMEs are actually outsourcing today. So I still believe there's about another 30, whatever, 32 million businesses out there that haven't yet considered outsourcing, and there's just a huge opportunity. Now, the opportunities... Uh, Chris, you know, we what you actually do find is, you know, people. Um, I, I've spent a lot of my business life in Australia and Sydney. Um, like McDonald's workers earn about twenty dollars an hour in Sydney, you know, as a as a sort of entry level salary, and it's incredibly difficult to build a business when, you know, if you want to some sort of salesperson, you may be looking at paying about one hundred and fifty thousand US per year. So. Mm-hmm. Outsourcing allows you to build your business without having those really big, scary stepping stones. We have had a lot of clients that, you know, they're not just, um, they're actually coming over to the Philippines because they are desperate. They are actually not able to make a profitable business anymore paying sort of $150,000 salaries. And we see businesses that um, are in distress. They come over here. They are able to build an operational team at a fraction of the cost, which means their business is then profitable and they actually turn this whole thing around, build a profitable business, and then they start expanding again. So outsourcing, you know, it's actually saving jobs and then it's generating jobs and it's creating, it's saving businesses from going under and then it's creating profitable, expanding businesses. You know, so it's it's an incredible win-win on all all areas. What we also find as well, another um, anecdote, is that kind of more rural businesses, either in Australia or, or sort of mid-US, you know, they're not always able to source an accountant or the developer that they need. And then, you know, they, they then find online that in the Philippines, there's probably, 
you know, a million people willing to do that job and able to do that job at a fraction of the cost. And so it actually enables these businesses to find the human resource that they need instead of, you know, kind of being limited to their own hometown uh, geography. Yeah. And, and for the most part, too, it's worth mentioning that, you know, it's it's a win-win for both uh, uh, the entrepreneur and the the staff, the outsourced staff, because what we're paying them to work is even much more than they can earn in many places in their own country. So it's a very uh, healthy salary. I'm curious, do you know, what what is the average salary for the average person in the Philippines, the average worker? Yeah, so, I mean, we actually did a white paper on uh, the win-win economics of outsourcing because, you know, there are people that are critical of outsourcing. So we've actually done a white paper on that. And then we've actually done a comprehensive guide on salaries um, so that people can see a comparison of salaries. And a lot of the salaries can be about 90% cheaper. You can get a graduate uh, here in the Philippines, and that might be uh, three years postgraduate out of college, either in accounting or web design, um, or it could be a nurse doing, you know, general operations or customer service people. Um, two to three years uh, post college, mm-hmm. with a qualification, they could they would typically be earning about twenty five thousand pesos per month, which is about five hundred US dollars. Right. Um, so that's you know as a, as a very rough guide, um, and there you are getting very keen, very eager, very well educated, and of course very. Um, culturally aligned and very well English speaking people for 500 US per month. Yeah, that's amazing. Incredible, man. I, I, I love talking about outsourcing and the things that you've done. Derek, is there, uh, well, actually, I want to ask you this. Have you noticed you've worked with entrepreneurs on all different levels, growing a business to even eight figures, and then working with a lot of businesses, especially, I'm sure, a lot of location independent businesses? What would you say the difference between for an entrepreneur that is uh, running a online business? digital business or a business that's using outsourcing, the difference in mentalities between the five, the six, and the seven-figure levels? Um, look, I, I think the, you know, the kind of digital nomads, the um, the hustlers, the people that are doing all the digital marketing stuff, I think they're incredibly savvy business people, you know, and they're using all of the tools um, available to them. They're incredibly savvy people, and they're an incredibly uh, competitive marketplace, you know, and people are thriving and they're using things such as uh, outsourcing. Um, you know, I feel that it's more the kind of mid-sized SMEs where they're kind of losing out on the opportunities. You know, they're maybe not so aware of um, like digital marketing opportunities, digital marketing funnels, all of these things that a lot of the the kind of digital nomads really are in their, in their you know, sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um but what I find is there's just generally in terms of outsourcing, there's just generally a mixture of a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of fear, a little bit of apathy about the opportunities in outsourcing. And also just kind of people aren't aware of it. And what I find is it's it's a bit like kind of um, if someone's really into basketball, trying to sell them some golf clubs is really difficult because they just don't, they're not interested in the golf clubs, you know, even if they're the best golf clubs in the world. And um, what I'm just trying to 
tell people that there's there's incredible opportunity in in outsourcing for you know your business. Um, there is what I what I think is key, whether this is a, a digital nomad or a, or a startup or um, you know a, a big corporate. There's actually a learning curve with outsourcing, and you can get very experienced. Uh, entrepreneurs, business people, you know, they might be driving a Lamborghini back home and they come over here, they hire one or two staff, they think they know how to do it all and then they go through a big learning curve of outsourcing because you've you've got to kind of relearn a few things. You've got to learn how to do the processes. You've got to learn how to work with a remote team. So there's, you know, there's very often a bit of a learning curve that people go through, a bit of a frustration that people might go through. But, you know, once you're over that hurdle, then then people never look back. Incredible. Derek, I think we're going to wrap up there, my friend. Um, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your tips and your tricks and all your wisdom about outsourcing and entrepreneurship and losing, uh, building an empire and losing it and, and getting past that. And uh, thank you so much for all that you've shared. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Um, it is outsourceaccelerator.com. Um, they can email me. Anyone can reach out to me. That is Derek at outsourceaccelerator.com. Derek is D-E-R-E-K. And we will actually have a uh, special landing page for your listeners, which will be outsourceaccelerator.com slash business method. And there we're offering the comprehensive toolkit and also a discount for the superstore. Awesome. Is that outsourceaccelerator.com business method or the business method? Just so I'm clear. Uh, just a business method cool. without any space. Cool. Yeah, you guys, I'd recommend checking out the website. Like if you're into outsourcing uh, already or if you're not, check it out because I thought it was really cool. They had these these different packages for IT and web and mobile development and lead gen and sales, and I'd never seen that before, and I thought that was a really smart way to categorize outsourcing work. So, uh, again, thank you, Derek, so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for coming on the show, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done Live Retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.